Welcome to the Simplify Jesus Podcast. We're your hosts, Matt Gunter and Bill Allen, and together we are breaking barriers through communication. Welcome back to Simplify Jesus, everyone. I am Bill Allen. This is my buddy, Matt Gunter. We are breaking barriers through communication. Thank you all for joining us once again. Uh, We're jumping into Judges this week and going to go through Judges 1 through 8 today. Last week, we talked about the story of Joshua, and uh, Joshua led the Israelites in battle against all of the people in Canaan, and there were there were a few bumps in the road, but ultimately, the Israelites were successful and finally, finally settled in the promised land, as promised. <laughs> so we left off where Joshua passes away, and uh, now we're moving into Judges, to see where things go from here. So, where do we go from here, Matt? You know, after Joshua died, there really wasn't that clear successor, that next person in line who was going to lead the people. They still had the lineage of priests through Aaron and Eleazar and um, and through that line, but they didn't have that military community leader after they moved into the Promised Land. And so, as a result of that. One of the things that we see right off the bat in Judges is there were some not so great decisions made by the people as a whole, made by the community. You mean to say they didn't listen to God again? I, I know. <laughs> crazy town. Uh, absolutely nuts. Keyword again. again. It's it's so amazing when we think about it. And again, we, we've talked about it before, the way our lives line up with Israel and kind of the ups and downs and all that stuff. It's just, it's ridiculous. So what we see is sometimes they did go to God first for his counsel, but a lot of times they were relying on their own judgment. It didn't work out so well. Um, if you're uh, one of those, you've, you've heard Bible verses and stuff for Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, um, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. That's, you know, sometimes they did that, sometimes maybe not so much. Um, and you know, so, that verse came to came to my mind just recently, just within the last few days, uh, probably the last week, I guess, that I realized I needed to do a better job of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I was just getting out of bed or I was in the shower or something, and that just that one part, lean not on your own understanding, came to my mind. Mm-hmm. And I've been really trying to... to let that sink in and remember. And then the other verse that says, do everything for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. I think I'm paraphrasing, but that one really, you know, uh, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. one. Um, that, that one line just keeps coming back to me because I think I've realized, and I feel like I may have said this on last week's episode, but if not, I told somebody. But... Mm-hmm. I've come to realize I do most things out of selfish ambition hmm. when God tells us not to. Oh, wait, we're not listening to God again? <laughs> <laughs> wait, hold on. Have we heard this before? Hold on. I feel like I've heard this story before. <laughs> yeah, the um, Philippians 2.3 um, says, uh, Paul's talking to the church at Philippi, says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And like you, you look at that. Paul's kind of focus there is is more on the kind of in the community. But the same thing applies here. Of 
you know, when, when you're looking at the community, when you're looking at your relationship with God and how, and the church and all of these other things, you know, this, this mindset of like, if we have God first, then we're going to consider others first. If we, you know, go to God for counsel, he's not going to direct us to do things for us. You know, it's not going to, we're never going to be the center of our own universe if we're doing things, God, doing things God's way. But you see that happen over and over and over again in the Israelite. And, and we do in our own lives too. Um, we're, we're, we're candid and honest about that, right? Um, we're real people. We're, we're not just, uh, some crazy Bible scholar, you know, <laughs> living in a whole cave somewhere. I mean, we, we're real people that struggle too. So we see this over and over in the life of Israel, you know, the, the biggest issue that they had and the, and the biggest area that, um, they weren't listening to God is God had made it really clear that they needed to drive out the people that were in the land before they got settled. Um, but in many cases they didn't. We talked about that a little bit last week with, um, in the story of Joshua, there were the people from Gibeon, um, with a B it's going to be important uh, difference here in a little bit. Yeah. Gibeon. Um, See, Gibeon. I almost misheard you too. Yeah. <laughs> um, the people from Gibeon, um, who, tricked the Israelites into saying, oh, we're from a faraway land. And really, they were some people from there in Canaan. Um, we already saw it happen once, and that was an accident. Now we're going to see it happen a good bit more where they wouldn't drive out the people. You know, there were some areas where they battled against them, but they struggled, and so they couldn't uh, push them out. But then, even as Israel got stronger in that area, they wouldn't run them out of town. They kept them and said, okay, well, they'll be our slave labor. Well, okay. They're still there, and, mm-hmm. and that influence is still there. You know, one of the places where this happened, and this kind of surprised me as I was reading through, but sure enough, it's there. Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which Jerusalem is, you know, one day going to be the capital of the nation of Israel and, and the home of, you know, so much of the archaeology and what, you know, kind of the center of the Judeo-Christian world, right? And that was a struggle with the Jebusites. Um, and so... Anyway, long story short, this happened over and over and over again. And and the reason that God gave him this instruction was because he knew if you if they allowed these people to stay with with their influences, with their false gods, with all of that, that it was going to become a temptation and a problem for the Israelites. Um, in Judges 2, 1 through 3, it says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your ancestors. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What What have you done? Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be a thorn in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. And so, because the people made the choice to not drive them out, God let them stay. But he warned them, they're going to be a thorn in your side. This is going to be a problem. And so, what this starts a pattern of is the Israelites, who allowed these people to stay, going and allowing the worship of Baal and Asherah and some of these false gods into their religious practices. They walked away from God and it just, uh, it started a up and down battle that would last for a long time. God saw this. God didn't abandon the people. Um, and, uh, he led these people that we call judges to lead the people. So the judges were not like Supreme court justices or it's not that kind of judge. This is really a leader of the people. And so think, think about judge in the way that, 
Moses would judge the people. Joshua would judge the people. It's more, more of that kind of thing. And so, but just to be clear, very much a leadership role. Oh yeah, for sure. Just not the sitting in a courtroom, you know, it's, it wasn't, it was more of a, honestly, a military role, but also with kind of the spiritual judgment side of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so what, what started was a pattern where judge would come in, kind of set the people straight, lead them in victory against their adversaries. When the judge passed, they'd go back to doing what they were doing before. God would allow an enemy nation to come in and have victory over the Israelites. Israelites are like, oh no, we messed up again. Cry out to God. God would give them another judge and restart the cycle. And so this is a repetitive cycle. This is most of the book of Judges. This is why we're going to hit some high points and move on through. So a couple of stories that um, we're not going to hit today that were in the Judges 1 through 8 reading. In Judges 3 through 5, it talks about the first judges. One was Othniel, uh, Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah. Those are the four judges that are laid out before Gideon that we're going to talk about today. And so uh, so just some kind of fun factoids from that. Uh, the guy Shamgar, he defeated 600 Philistines. And you might think, oh, well, hey, he probably had some cool tools and weapons and all that kind of stuff. He beat him with a cattle prod, um, which I, you know, I don't know what cattle prods were like back then, but I don't think of that as a weapon of mass destruction, but Hey, he did it. Not electricity. Like we have in our cattle prods today. <laughs> right? <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Although that would have made for probably a more exciting battle. And then, uh, then you have Deborah. Deborah was the only female judge, but today we're going to focus on the story of a guy named Gideon. So he was the next judge in line after those four. And this is uh, Gideon with a D as in David. Correct. Not Gideon, Gideon with, a with a B as we said earlier. Right. <laughs> exactly. So when you look at the overall timeline of the Bible and kind of what we've been working through, we're jumping ahead here. Uh, this is roughly between 1200 and 1150 BC. Um, well, hold on. So we're jumping ahead. How far are we jumping ahead from before? Do you know? So Moses and Joshua was right around uh, probably 1400 BC. Okay. And so we're jumping ahead about 200 years um, okay. going through those first round of judges. Now, are we jumping ahead or does the Bible jump ahead? So the Bible in those couple of short stories through those judges covers those years. Okay. And so we're skipping over those stories getting to Gideon. I guess overall the, the passage that we read today covers from probably like I think 1350 BC is when the first judge was kind of instituted and then up through 1150 is where we're at. It's so interesting because I did not catch when I was reading through this, how far that span was. Mm -hmm. It's I, I don't know what it is about, and maybe it's just my reading style, but Mm -hmm. it's so easy to miss so much. You got to go back and read it over and over and over again to really, Mm -hmm. in fact, you were uh, talking about Deborah. Emily just said recently within the last six months or so that she just now learned how bad of a mama jamma Deborah was <laughs> because she had no idea that she did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, that is one of the things that I think we miss sometimes is kind of when these things are happening, you know, cause, cause there are little notes in there that, you know, this person was called to be judged next and they were judged for 40 years or 80 years or stuff like that. And so there might be a little note in there, or we've got some kind of other historical guide from somewhere else in the Bible. But you know, I mean, the way it's written, literally the, those four judges are captured in about two chapters of text, mm-hmm. you know, 
but Gideon in in this kind of one battle that we're going to talk about, I mean, it's three or four chapters. So you know, it's it can feel like some of that stuff stretches out when really it's it's kind of tight. I mean, even the story of Moses, we went through a lot of stuff that happened in the first year of his leadership with the plagues and leading him out and crossing the Red Sea and all that stuff. That was even several episodes of what we did. And then you skip 39 years and we go to the last year in the wilderness when he dies. Right. Like, you know, we don't know exactly what happened there. So, but they hit all the high points. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Kind of what we're doing. Exactly. So kind of setting up the story of Gideon, he had a similar kind of, you know, uh, cycle um, that the other judges did. This time, God had allowed the Midianites to conquer the Israelites and to move into part of their land. And so the Israelites called out and God uh, called on Gideon to deliver them. And in Judges 6, 12, um, it says that an angel met Gideon out by a tree. And the angel told him, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. And so you know, Gideon at this point, he's got some he's got some questions. He wasn't exactly the, the big, stout, strong guy. But his questions are, are really interesting. The first one he asks is, why are we even in this situation? If God can deliver us out of Egypt, like we know he can, these stories that have been passed down from generation to generation about God's deliverance out of Egypt, why isn't he just taking care of this? Why are we dealing with the Midianites? And then the second question is, why me? I'm the youngest person from the weakest family around. We're not known for being warriors. Why am I the guy that you picked? Um, the angel encouraged him. And in the end, he, he he agreed. He signed up and said, okay, fine. I'll lead the people. I'm going to answer God's call. Um, Before he did that, though, didn't he go in and, and or am I thinking of somebody else that, he said, hold on, before I agree to this, I need one more test. And he said, don't leave. He left and got his sacrifice and mm-hmm. came back. And then the angel burnt it up. Oh, yeah. The the angel encouraged him. But, you know, even that wasn't enough for Gideon. He put this angel to the test. said, okay, you hang out here for a minute. I'm going to go get a sacrifice. And we're going to put this to the test. And so Gideon goes. He gets the sacrifice materials. I think it was a, a lamb. And he had some wheat and grain and that kind of stuff. And he brought it all back. And the angel basically incinerated it right in front of him. He just set it on fire. And it was like, okay, all right. This is this is God. I'm good. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and and I love, you know, if you think about it, the angel that Abraham had uh, mm. come to him, mm-hmm. he punished him because he yeah. didn't believe him, right? Um, the, the I, I think I'm getting into New Testament stuff now, but we've got several <laughs> angels that, you know, came to uh, Joseph and, and yeah, John's dead. Ezekiel? No. Zechariah. Zechariah, yeah. Um, you know, there's several angels in the New Testament that came and mm-hmm. punished because they didn't believe. But he burned up the... He just went with it. He's like, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So, it tells me Gideon was pretty important and needed in this in this case. Absolutely. He, he was the man for the job. God called on Gideon that night. Um, he said, go into the town and tear down an Asherah pole. And that's in the city square. And so Asherah poles, they were kind of, my understanding they were like totem poles that we think about with like the native American tribes and that kind of stuff specifically for Asherah, who was a Canaanite fertility goddess. And so they were, this was very common, um, in the culture. We see it a lot throughout the history of Israel that these Asherah poles keep coming back. And so, uh, Gideon went in that very night, he tore it down out of the city and, uh, in its place, he built an altar to God in an attempt to point the people back to God. Um, and, and funny enough, he actually used wood from the Asherah pole as fuel for the fire for the sacrifice that he put on it. 
It's like, not only are we going to tear it down, we're going to destroy this thing. It is gone. Most of the people weren't happy with him. This was, you know, this was who they worshiped. This was their God, right? Um, and in fact, they gave him the name Jerubiel, which means Baal will contend. Because they just assumed, well, Baal's going to judge him. Baal's going to take care of this guy. And, and actually, I think this was used by some people to kind of get that community off of Gideon's back. Um, so they wouldn't go, you know, try to take him down because no, Baal's going to take care of it. It's going to be all right. <laughs> but yeah, he, he really takes some people off of that. But thankfully not everybody was against Gideon. In fact, there were um, a lot of people who after doing this realized, Hey, we've gotten off track here. We need to get back on and start following God again. And so they decided to join him and taking down the Midianites. And so he sent out messengers to Manasseh, Naphtali, Asher, and Zebulun, four of the tribes of Israel. And he asked them to join him in battle against the Midianites and Amalekites who gathered against Israel. Um, They had gathered across the Jordan and then they had crossed over into the nation of Israel. And so this is where the story of Gideon gets really crazy. Because you would assume that having a big army, I mean, he sent these messengers out, people came. He had 32,000 men, and you would assume that the bigger the army, the better. But God had other plans. In Judges 7-2, God said to Gideon, You have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I saved myself. I think it is really interesting that God tells that to Gideon. He's basically saying, look, we got to make sure that everybody knows this was a God thing. This wasn't you. This wasn't your army. This was me. Um, especially in light of our conversation earlier, like how do we get off track when we make it all about me? That's when we get off track. And I, and this, this really spoke to me. In fact, just this morning I was reading through it and, and, you know, I talked to, I talk about my morning devotional often. And as I was going through my devotional, it, it brought up Joseph. Mm. We, we talked about Joseph, um, you know, being elevated up to, the Pharaoh's right-hand man. Yeah. And he brings this point, there's something that, again, that, that hit me pretty hard, that when Pharaoh had this dream, he asked everybody he, he knew to interpret. Somebody told him about Joseph in prison. Mm-hmm. He brought him out of prison and said, I hear you can interpret this dream. And Joseph says, not me, but God. Yeah. And and, and that, again, is, you know, do everything to the, for the glory of God. Do nothing out of selfish mm-hmm. ambition. Because right after that, he talks about the talents that God gives us, right? Mm -hmm. And the uh, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, Mm -hmm. according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And that's in Matthew 25, it's 13 through 15. The point that I I got out of this and, and this really goes along with this is that we can't do anything except through God. Yeah. Yet we get haughty, you know, we get Mm -hmm. prideful in the things that we can do. Right. Yeah. Or let's look at the opposite of that. We lose confidence because we don't feel like we're good enough. Mm. We can't do things or we don't feel like we're good enough with things that, that God has entrusted us with. Yeah. But we're not. God is. So if we're not confident in those things, then we're not trusting God. That's yeah. uh, that's kind of the way I'm seeing it. We're not yeah. trusting God 
fully to be able to use the talents that he's given us. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that was kind of a, uh, I went off on a tangent there, but um, this, and we're going to get into more detail with this, mm-hmm. but having God on our side to show the world what we can do through him is mm-hmm. so different than trying to do things on our own. That's right. Absolutely. And that and that's exactly what God's point here is, is that you're not going to make this about you. We're going to make sure everybody knows this was not about you. This was about me. And so to do that, God told Gideon to put the guys through a couple of tests. So he starts out with 32,000 men. And the first test was really simple. He said, if you are feeling afraid to go against Midian, you can go on home. Now, in my mind, if all of these men, 32,000 men came, then they've got to have some level of courage. Like they, they, they showed up, they showed up to battle. (laughs) Fun fact, 22,000 troops out of the 32,000, when they were asked if they were afraid, they said yes. And they left, they were sent on home and 10,000 left. So he took out two thirds of the army right there. Which is so wise of God to tell him to put it that way, because tell your troops, if you're afraid, go home. Yeah. In other words, tell your troops, if you don't trust me, go home. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Put them to the test. Do they trust me? So at this point, there's still too many troops. So God told Gideon to take the men down to the river for a drink of water. And so he, he told them, look at their posture. If they put their face down to the water to drink, um, they were to be sent home. But if they knelt down to the water and they brought the water up to their face that they could stay. And so from here, he went from 10,000 down to only 300 men left. I have thoughts on why that is, but why do you think that is? So I've heard a couple of theories. One of them, and the one that I, I tend to kind of ascribe to, is that for, for warriors, if you put your face down to the water, you all of a sudden, you can't see anything else. Um, you're not aware, you're not, um, you're not paying attention to your surroundings. And so from a warrior standpoint, it makes a lot of sense of like, you want the guys who are aware, who are alert, who are keeping a watchful eye for what's going on around them. I agree with that. And that's where I was going with that as well. I also think it's the easier ways, the more efficient way to get a drink from the river. Right. And if you're going to just put your face down and start lapping it up, then it doesn't seem like you're too bright. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a little bit of that. You know, another interesting theory that I heard um, that that I think kind of goes in line with the theme of what we're talking about with Gideon and his story is that the people who were putting their face down in the water, I mean, what do you see in the water? It's a reflection of yourself. Mm. And so, you know, kind of the idea that if you, by putting your face down in the water, it's almost a you're kneeling to yourself almost that that kind of mindset like it's again you're focused on you it's it's Mm. an inward focus instead of an outward focus that's one that i have i have a little harder time connecting the dots i i can i can kind of see it i can see where you know but we we talked about that earlier there are some examples that maybe don't fit quite as well i think it is interesting that i mean the two tests he gave him like you said the first one was are you afraid okay if you don't trust god Get your way out. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, are you paying attention? Are you are you alert? Are you paying attention to what's going on around you? If not, you can head on home and be all right. He's got 300 guys left to take on the whole Midianite army. I've heard it said, I've never done this, but I've heard it said that, you know, when you're doing job interviews, you take them out to dinner. Hmm. And if they put salt on their food before ever tasting it, you don't want them. 
<laughs> that's hilarious uh, and and i think about that so you know a little bit on the some some friends and family that i know i've i've seen that happen so many times mm-hmm. i can i can predict it i know i know who's gonna do it same the yeah. first thing the food comes out hey, uh, where, where's the salt you mm-hmm. know I'm like if that's your thing that's your thing i guess but <laughs> <laughs> yeah try it first test it see if you're gonna like it yeah i mean to me it does seem a little ridiculous but yeah i've seen the same thing a yeah. lot of people do that for some reason yeah interesting <laughs> so now so now gideon's down he's got 300 men but then the way he approached this battle is completely unorthodox and crazy gideon gave each man not a sword not a shield none of that he gave him a lit torch a pitcher that went over the flame on the torch and then a horn they went out in the dead of night pitch black out and they surrounded with these 300 men went all the way around the midianite camp and so their, their plan was whenever Gideon gave them the signal, they would smash the pitcher that was over the torch. And so the, the flame would show, it'd be a really bright light with 300 of them. And then they would blow the horns as loud as they could. So sure enough, Gideon gave them the sign. They did it, um, blew the horns as loud as they could. And the Midianites were so startled by this that they thought they were under attack. And, and they were, I guess, but not the way they thought they were. They started attacking each other. They didn't know who the enemy was. And so they started attacking each other and getting after it. Eventually, they, they fled. They left their camp because they thought they were under attack in their camp. And all the people who Gideon had sent away, plus the tribe of Ephraim, had joined in at this point and chased the Midianites out of Israel. But just, I mean, you don't win battles this way, but they did. And again, why? Because it's a God thing. Well, you don't tear down cities by walking around it and shouting either but <laughs> right you know through with god anything is possible right yeah exactly <laughs> and exactly oh I'm, I'm i'm so trying to do a better job of listening and, and paying attention to what he wants instead of trying to do things my way because i really want life to be easier <laughs> uh, and we saw that in the beginning of this they, did, they didn't listen to god completely and they struggled mm-hmm. with life in general. And when Gideon came on the scene and did exactly what God said, he didn't really have to do anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he instructed them to blow their horns. Fight's over. Yeah. I don't know. God is God is amazing. I just can't believe some of this sometimes and the way it works. But... I want to see that in my life. So I want to do a better job of listening to him. Yeah. You know, and that's, and, and I think that's the, um, probably the biggest moral of the story here is even when it doesn't make sense, keep going for it. If you, mm. if, if you, um, we talked about in Sunday school recently about having convictions and sometimes when we think about conviction, it's about sin in our lives. It's about things that we're doing wrong that we need to, kind of correct course on but sometimes conviction is really just a i feel like this is something i'm supposed to go do and it should always be a positive thing but you know when when we've got that tug when we're feeling that tug there's you've got to just follow it even if it doesn't make sense to you yet the point is to trust god and take that step none of this made sense to gideon not a lick of it guaranteed in fact it says so in some places but what did he do he kept following god God showed up in a big way, in a powerful way, and moved right through him. I mean, that's just that's just how God works. To bring it all back around, he does that 
so that we can't take the credit for it because knowing me, I would, mm-hmm. you know, I would make it all about me if I could, but I can't because it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so easy to do. And I'm, I'm tired of doing it that way. I want to do it the right way. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get better someday, Bill. Someday, someday. God's always working <laughs> on us. Right. Uh, and that I think is important to, to realize, uh, again, you and I were just talking about it before we started recording. They don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. You don't have That's to be right. perfect to come to, to know God and, and have a relationship. You don't have to get, have it all together. So come as you are and, and, you know, we all work through it together with God's help. That's right. So speaking of Jesus, <laughs> how's this point to him? So the the common theme, I mentioned this a few times early on, a common theme in the story of Israel is that they have these ups and downs where they're focused on God and they fall away and they deal with the consequences. They turn back to God and it's, it's this up and down. And so what, something I want to point out early on as we go through this story is that God never at any point walks away from them. He never forgets about them. He never completely abandons them. We're going to see some of the consequences are pretty severe that, that they deal with, but he never forgets about the promise that he made. And the same is true with our lives in Christ. You know, we're going to make mistakes in our sinful nature. We're going to do things that get us off track, but we have never done anything. I can guarantee you, no matter what you have done in the past, you have never done anything and cannot do anything now that is so bad that Jesus won't forgive it. First John 1 John 1.9 puts it this way, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whatever you've done, whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're a Christian or not, um, you're kind of exploring this thing, or you're just, whatever you got going on, there is nothing you have done that's going to make Jesus forget his covenant with you. There's nothing you've done that's so bad that Jesus can't forgive it. And so I want to encourage you with that today, that we see that in the history of the nation of Israel. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament study we're going to do, you're going to see all these ups and downs. Also true today, there's nothing we can do to lose that salvation. And if we did have to worry about him not forgiving us, I'd be screwed. And I'm so (laughs) glad I don't have to worry about that. (laughs) You and me both. Yeah, so... Well said, Matt. So what's going on elsewhere in the world uh, all right. with all of this going on? All right. So we are finally out of the Bronze Age. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the Bronze Age with Moses and Joshua. Right around the time of the story of Gideon, we move into the Iron Age. The Iron Age is defined by uh, making tools and weapons out of, you guessed it, iron. <laughs> the The big factor that changed here is uh, that they were able to take the iron and make steel alloys out of it which are stronger metals we still use a steel today um, steel pipe i use it in my job a lot and so still very much a thing a lot of this started right around 1200 bc so kind of interesting as we're moving ahead in the storyline here of history that that's coming in the other kind of interesting fact um, that we have is the trojan war so the the greeks and the troys which is really important in Greek mythology. And I think there's some evidence that something happened there, not with a Greek God influence, but that there were, there was a war there is placed right around 1190 BC. So that would have been right around this time as well. What, whatever happened there with the Trojan horse and the, the crazy battles that happened around that. But all of that is kind of right around this time frame. Do you know how uh, far away from the promised land all this was going on? So, it was in Greece. So it was in Europe. So really not, 
that far. I mean, it was there was a sea between them, mm. but I mean, geographically, we, we we wouldn't think of it being that far away at this point. No, we wouldn't. Just a a, a few hours plane ride, right? Yeah, uh, right. Like that. And I wonder. I mean, obviously, not obviously, but I doubt each of them knew what was going on at the time. You know, yeah, I doubt that. And it's just so interesting to think about. Again, when we read the Bible, we only think about that happening at that time and nothing else is going on around it <laughs> but there's so much going on right around it and and neither party knows the other yeah it's so crazy to me well that's you know you think about the iron age the iron age kind of happened in stages much like the other ages where you know kind of took off over here first then it moved over there moved over there and and so this area kind of the Egypt and Israel and and the Middle East area from if I'm understanding what I read correctly that was kind of the often the starting point for these ages um, to come in because they were on the front end of technology well if they're there then that means that all that stuff kind of moved maybe it was moving in through Europe at this point when some of this was going on they don't they don't talk about that in the Bible of you know hey today we came up with iron tools (laughs) but like but, but we know it was happening, right? Because we know it was happening in history. And so it's, like you said, it's incredible to think about how this plugs into history, which is a lot of the reason we're doing this podcast mm-hmm. while we're while we're going through this story. So. Well, and, and when you think about how quickly things kind of transform as we go through, mm. you know, we think of Old Testament especially as it just being, I, well, again, I've, I never thought of, of it as being in the Stone Age, right? Yeah. I never thought of that. But... I thought about how they would be living without, obviously, the comforts that we have today. Yeah. Um, living in huts and caves and not having even wood floors or anything like that. Right. But recently in our in our study, chariots had just started coming on the scene. Yeah. And now we're moving into the Iron Age, which is going to bring in all kinds of other things. But you don't see a whole lot of progression. Probably, I think... Probably between here and Jesus. Hmm. And I am really curious to know what it looks like. Maybe we do a study on that at some point. What it looks like <laughs> from Jesus' time to, I don't know, the first gun, right? The first modern yeah. weapon. You know, the first mm-hmm. gunpowder, you know, things like that as they, yeah. they come through. I've never been a real history buff or anything like that. Um Frankly, it always kind of bored me, mm-hmm. but I've never dug into it like this. Yeah. So I'm really excited to kind of see where we go from here. Well, and it's really interesting to think about, kind of just from a history standpoint, of it's moving quickly, but you think about how quickly technology changes today. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a new iPhone every six months. There's a new, you know, the there are operating systems that are outdated the day you install it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just... it. Stuff moves so quickly. And here, you know, the Iron Age is 1200 BC. Well, that's hundreds and hundreds of years after they started the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. And so for all those hundreds of years, bronze was as good as it got. That's what you made your tools and your chariots and everything out of. And then the Iron Age comes in and you start transitioning to steel. And so just just the concept of that slow-moving machine um, and how all of this fits into that, it's 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 fascinating to me to think about in light of where we are today and how quickly things move that man that's they were stuck in that era and improving on improving improving but 
progress was so much slower back then yeah. in, in the technology and whatnot. It's, uh, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, exciting times. We've got a lot going on. Next week, we're going to continue in Judges and go through uh, chapters 9 through 21. And this time, we're going to be focusing on the story of Samson. There's a lot of nuggets in there to learn from. Oh, yeah. Temptation all around. Uh, <laughs> um, a lot of things to take out of that. So um, I've actually done a study on Samson before. And it was very convicting. It is. So, uh, yeah, y'all, y'all be sure to come back and listen to that one. But until then, this is where we sign off for this week. And uh, we'll see you next time. Matt, why don't you get us out of here? If you have any comments, questions, or concerns about today's episode, shoot us a note at info at simplifyjesus.com. We would love to hear from you. Just let us know what you think. Be sure to check us out on social media and keep up with the latest from Simplify Jesus. We like to hang out on Facebook and Twitter. Comment, like, share, keep up with all the latest stuff we've got going on there. You can also keep up with the latest at www.simplifyjesus.com. As we roll out new podcast episodes and we've got different things going on, that's where you'll be able to find that. And finally, if you're looking for uh, where to listen to this podcast, let us know if you can't find us. But you can always just ask Alexa to say, hey, Alexa, play the Simplify Jesus podcast and you'll find us there. And with that being said, you guys have a great week.